guys can go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> How are we doing today? Good? Good? Okay. Uh, well, if you're with us online or here for the first time, know that we're glad you're with us. Um, we're going to dive right in because uh, today we officially begin a new series in 2 Corinthians called The Transformed Life. Uh, and just to be up front with you, um, I really struggled to name this series. Uh, you know, I personally don't really get into series titles all that much. You know, I'm happy and content with just naming it 2 Corinthians and calling it a day. I'm just pretty simple-minded, uh, but I do think teaching or, or titles can be helpful for teaching purposes uh, in order to give the big picture. Uh, thus, I've titled the series The Transform Life, because this theme of the transformed life tends to uh, be recurring uh, and is very prevalent all over 2 Corinthians. Uh, but just to warn you, uh, it comes from a complicated situation. You know, I think it, I think it may be fair that uh, the, you know, if, if Paul, the author, uh, wanted to have a Facebook status with the Corinthian church, he would probably say it's complicated. Um, that's just the way it was. Uh, but we'll get in that into just a second. But uh, this is what we're going to do today, okay? I'm going to read uh, the first two verses of 2 Corinthians, give you a bit of the backstory of this complicated relationship with the Corinthian church, uh, give you a little bit more direction uh, for the series, and then uh, we'll dive headfirst into this passage. And so um, let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 1. Uh, of Second of Corinthians. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, just to point out a few observations here, uh, Paul is writing this letter addressed to the church at Corinth in Corinth, it was just the, the capital uh, of Achaia. Achaia was the larger region, and, and Corinth was the city. So it would be like Tampa uh, in Florida, and Achaia, Achaia would be like Florida. Uh, and Corinth was a prosperous city. It had a lot of hustle and bustle, okay? It was known for being multicultural. Uh, multicultural. There was lots of manufacturing and business. Uh, there was a self-made mentality and ethos that they had. Uh, it, was, it was also known for uh, just being immoral and plural, pluralistic. And uh, they also had great sports. <laughs> uh, sounds a bit like Tampa Bay. And really any other major sports or any other major uh, metro city in the United States. And right off the bat, he gets straight to the point and says, uh, he says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And when he says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, that just means he's a sent out one. Uh, Paul is saying he was sent out by Jesus, meaning uh, Paul had a special God-given authority given by Jesus directly. And what's interesting about this letter uh, that he addresses immediately, and as we get into it, we'll see that Paul is needing to defend his apostleship to the Corinthian church that he's writing to. You know, this is a church that he planted, as we see in back in Acts 18. It's, you know, it started by meeting with Priscilla and Aquila, uh, who were both tent makers like Paul. Paul used his, his work for a means to ministry to plant this church in Corinth. Uh, and then he spent about 18 months of, months of his blood, sweat, and tears uh, to, to, with them. And so now he's coming to, having to come back uh, and prove himself to these people uh, that he sacrificed for. And, and just a little fun fact, about this letter, just to add more complications here. Second uh, Corinthians is not actually the second letter, it's actually the fourth letter. You know, we have, we have two letters, uh, which are first and second Corinthians, uh, but we know from within these two letters that he wrote at least four letters. And so the first letter that uh, we don't actually have uh, was written to address some pretty uh, serious sexual uh, moral problems in the church. Uh, the second letter 
uh, which we call first, which we now call First Corinthians, uh, addresses all sorts of problems and questions. Uh, when you read First Corinthians, you realize real quick, church is messy, <laughs> uh, especially churches with a bunch of new believers. They come from all sorts of backgrounds uh, with various life experiences, uh, and apparently, uh, this letter was not very well received causing Paul to have to make a painful visit, uh, having to write a painful letter uh, that he mentions in 2 Corinthians. Uh, And in this third letter, the painful letter that we don't have, uh, he had to call the church to repent and take action against an offender. Uh, And so by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, uh, which is the fourth letter, uh, let's just say Paul was tired. (laughs) Uh, Paul deeply loved the Corinthian church, uh, but he he was weary. And he was writing 2 Corinthians in tears, exposing his heart. 2 Corinthians uh, is is known as Paul's most emotional letter. Uh, It's been referred to as explosive and unfiltered and greatly emotional, showing both Paul's pastoral and missional heart. And yes, uh, also, it's very rich with deep truths, um, while just kind of all over the place at the same time. Uh, and here's Paul with a complicated and messy relationship, uh, with a complicated and messy church. It's complicated uh, in, a, in a complicated and messy city, pouring out his heart through this letter, showing the power of the of gospel-centered transformation that speaks into uh, messy and complicated lives. And so this is the book of 2 Corinthians, which leads us to the part of our passage that we're going to spend most of our time in today, starting in verse uh, 3. So follow along with me. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, uh, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that, may, uh, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. And so there are, uh, there are two themes here that come bursting off of the page that I want to point out. And it's comfort and affliction. Whenever we read the Bible, just a little trick to help us find out what the author is trying to get across, we look for repetition. So if the author says something a few times, a phrase is a few times, you know, maybe it's worth looking at. Uh, if it's a word that said 10, that said 10 times, it's like, okay, uh, he's trying to say something here. And Paul says comfort 10 times within five verses. And this theme, and then this theme of suffering and affliction, right? He mentions suffering four times. And he also mentions affliction four times. And then not to mention, he also says phrases like uh, that he was utterly burdened beyond strength, that he despaired of life itself, that he felt like he received the sentence of death. And then he also says he was uh, delivered from such a deadly peril. 
And so I told you, this, this was an emotional book. Paul's about to come unglued in 2 Corinthians, and at first glance, it's hard to tell uh, if Paul is doing great, talking about all of this comfort, uh, or if he's about to completely lose it while in complete despair. I know it seems like these two ideas are at odds with each other, because when we think of comfort, or at least I do, and maybe you too, when we think of, uh, we often think of like a nice cozy bed or a, a big comfy chair or swinging in the hammock, uh, in a hammock on the beach under a palm tree, you know, with a the nice ocean breeze kind of blowing in your face. And by the way, this is my type of vacation. Um, I'm sorry, I know we've got some Disney lovers out there, but Disney is not a vacation, okay? That is work. Uh, Disney is work. Uh, I need the beach, I need a, uh, I need, and I need a book, and that's a vacation, uh, but what's the best way to ruin a vacation at the beach? <laughs> Children, uh, the affliction of sharks, right? Uh, some of these other things too. But the affliction of sharks and the suffering of a sunburn. <laughs> and because of that, we think affliction, suffering, and comfort, uh, they don't all belong in the same sentence. Like they just don't match. And you can't, you can't say, ooh, I'm so comfortable uh, while floating on a float in the ocean uh, while suffering from a terrible sunburn with sharks afflicting you. Like, uh, that's just silly. It doesn't really make sense. Which is basically what the people of Corinth thought. Wondering about the legitimacy of Paul's apostleship because he had been through so much suffering and affliction. But as we'll see today, Paul shows us that they do, in fact, go together. And especially in the Christian life. This is one of the many paradoxes of the Christian life. Like, uh, we gain our life by losing it. We become greater by becoming less. And for today, we greater understand the God of all comfort through suffering and affliction. This is the Christian life. You know, as soon as you become a Christian, <laughs> we gain both greater affliction and comfort. We gain the incredible peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding while entering into a cosmic spiritual war. The Christian life, a life that follows Jesus, is both war and peace. It's, it's full of both comfort and affliction. And so look at verse 3 and 4 again. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so again, comfort and affliction are the themes for today. And so you can forget the sunscreen, um, grab a comfy beach chair, and let's get fried for the glory of God, okay? Sorry, really bad joke. I had to do it though. Um, but seriously, our main idea for today, brought right out of verse 4, is God comforts his people in their affliction. God comforts his people in their affliction. And so today, if you come in with some sort of affliction or suffering or hardship, hear the hope that's found in our passage today. Verse 3 says, Our God is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And this is the beginning of the letter. He didn't begin the letter with a normal greeting, followed by expressing his thankfulness for the church he was writing to, like he, he did in almost every other letter. No, he gets right at it in 2 Corinthians, saying, God is a God of mercy and all comfort. And out of the entire Bible, Paul, as the author, speaks more about suffering and comfort than any other writer in the Bible, because this was his life experience as a follower of Jesus. And it's the normal life experience. Uh, maybe we don't go exactly what he went through, 
But for committed followers of Jesus who walk in faith and do hard things and step out of our comfort zones to take risk for the, the gospel, affliction will come. And just in everyday life, affliction will come. It may not look the same for everyone, but it will come. And as we'll see, so will God's comfort. In fact, I would be bold enough to say that it's guaranteed. God's comfort is guaranteed for the Christian. It may not look how we would imagine it to look or how we would want it or dream for it to be. Our circumstances may never get better. But in time, God's comfort is guaranteed because it's in God's character to comfort his people. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to look at our God, who is the God of mercy and comfort, and see what Paul says, how this is shown through our affliction. We're going to see three truths in our text of God's comfort amidst our affliction, but I'll give you those as we, as we go. But before we do that, I'm going to do something a little different today uh, than I normally would. I want to skip ahead to verses 8 and 9 to first see how Paul talks about this affliction before we talk about God's comfort. Look at verse 8 and 9 uh, as he describes his affliction. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And so Paul you know, right before this, talks about God's great comfort. But then he follows it up by saying, but uh, don't be mistaken. I mean, we literally thought we were going to die. We said, I mean, he said he despaired of life itself. He said they felt like they had received a death sentence. And so I think it's fair to say that uh, Paul is not in a great place. Uh, they literally thought they were going to die. And so we don't know exactly what happened or which event he experienced in Asia that caused him to spare of his life. You know, some have said maybe it was uh, the riots in Ephesus out of Acts 19 uh, when, he was, uh, com- when there was a confrontation with a lynch mob or possibly there was a life-threatening illness or maybe there was when he was shipwrecked or stoned or beaten. Whenever it was, it caused a paralyzing weight on him that he talks about here in 2 Corinthians. And maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you feel this way and the weight of life seems crushing. Maybe you have a family member that's battling sickness, or maybe you're lonely or feel isolated, or maybe you're a, uh, you have a wayward or difficult child, or maybe school or work is weighing you down, and you just don't know how you'll ever get out of it. Maybe you're in a season of life that you just don't like for whatever reason, and the weight of the world seems crushing, causing, as Paul mentions, a heavy burden, causing despair, maybe even despairing of life itself, just like Paul experienced. And hear this today. Paul understands this weight. He's lived it, he's walked it, and he's got a word for you today. We don't get all of our why questions answered. We don't get a philosophical solution for the problem of evil today. But what we do get are great truths of God's comfort and mercy from a man who has walked through deep valleys, great affliction, and much suffering, and helps us to see what God wants for us in the midst, in the middle of our affliction and suffering. You know, I heard a quote from Charles Spurgeon this week that says, They who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. And so I want you to know today, brothers and sisters, that God wants to do something both through you and in you amidst your trials and circumstances. And if you're here today or you've recently come out of a hardship or some sort of affliction, praise God. Like we've got a word for you today because God has worked in you and wants to do something through you. You have been given rare pearls that God wants to use for his glory. And if you're here today and you're not in affliction, 
uh, or haven't uh, recently come out of affliction. You know, I pray that you would just kind of tuck this away. Uh, to be prepared and equipped to suffer well, to be able to, as Paul says in verse 6, to patiently endure suffering. You know, with Paul's affliction and burden and despairing of life kind of as our backdrop, uh, let's go back and see what he has to say about the God of all comforts and the Father of, of, Father of mercies, which is our first point today. God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I know we've already touched on this a good bit today, uh, but I want to make sure you don't miss it and make sure we clearly define it. You know, as we've seen, the God of comfort is all over this passage. But we must ask, what is this comfort? You know, there are many things in life that bring comfort, like, like we said, a nice warm bed, jumping into a pool uh, on, a, on a hot day, uh, maybe changing out of some uncomfortable clothes and getting, get, uh, taking off your shoes and uh, getting into some sort of gym shorts uh, or sweatpants. But what Paul is getting at here, what, when, when he speaks of comfort, isn't what, when he speaks of comfort, it isn't better circumstances, but rather a contentment of heart in the middle of difficulty. It's a strengthening of heart and mind. There's an encouragement and a hope. Uh, David Garland has a quote, it'll be up on the screen. It says, God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. God's comfort sustains faith and strengthens weak knees and produces endurance that lasts, giving an unbending, unbending resolve and unending assurance. I love that. God's comfort strengthens us. It doesn't coddle us. It strengthens us. God's comfort, it doesn't empty us of affliction. It strengthens us through it. And this comes from God and God alone. You know, comfy clothes, a warm bed, and a pool on a hot day will give temporary contentment. But God's comfort strengthens and sustains through difficulty, but not merely to escape it. We don't escape it. We just, we were strengthened through it. You know, I've been reading... The book of Isaiah, in my own personal Bible reading, and recently, you know, I've gotten on the back half of Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 40, which begins the discussion around this messianic age, uh, and it's been so rich and so good. But um, you know, this is uh, in this part of the book about the messianic age, which is just kind of speaking of the age of Jesus. It starts by speaking of this God who comforts. It says, "Comfort, comfort my people." And when Jesus the Messiah comes, He provided consolation for His people. And for us today, as Christians, our greatest comfort is found in Jesus. It's found in the gospel. Because through Jesus, we, uh, who, who was afflicted at the cross, the wayward sinner who was, who, was, who was wronged God is comforted by the provision of the cross that displays the grace of God. And so as we know, God's greatest display of mercy by the Father of all mercies was found in the greatest affliction at the cross providing comfort for the sinner, providing a way, uh, providing access to, to the God of all comfort. The gospel is good news. Uh, the gospel provides consolation for the weary and for the brokenhearted. But we'll get into that more in a, few, in a few minutes. But what I want us to also see is that God uses various means to provide comfort, reminding us of this hope that is found in Jesus. You know, something we know that's generally true and that we see throughout the Bible is that we find comfort from people, uh, from teachings, uh, from music, from prayer, from community, from words of encouragement, from serving others. You know, there's so many things that we could list here. But what is interesting about this comfort, this comfort that Paul speaks of that is found from, from Jesus, is tied to affliction and suffering. So the rare pearl you know, that Charles Spurgeon mentions 
is found at the sea of affliction. There's a unique, deep and abiding comfort that strengthens weak knees and gives hope to sagging spirits that is uniquely found at the school of affliction, which Paul gets at and we'll see later in our time. But what I want us to see next with this theme of comfort and affliction that Paul draws out is that God created us for community and to live on mission with a purpose. And both our comfort from God and our affliction, it has a purpose. God provides this comfort and uses it for a purpose. God's comfort that he provides does not turn us inward at ourselves, but it turns us outward. It turns us to Jesus and it turns us to others. The comfort that the world tries to provide is the exact opposite. It's inward and it's self-focused where the comfort from God, in contrast, propels us to be outward focused, which we see Paul speak of so clearly in this text, leading us to our next point. Number two, God comforts us in our affliction so we are better able to minister to others. We saw this similar idea last week out of Psalm 67 where we saw that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to the nations. You know, we see the same thing here with God's comfort in our affliction. God comforts us so that we can help bring comfort to others. And so if you've found the pearl of God's comfort through the sea of affliction, God wants, to share and sh- wants you to share and show that rare pearl to the world. God's comfort that you have known, found, or experienced is a rare treasure. It's a gift, so don't lose sight of that and share it with the world. And this idea comes right out of verses, uh, right out of verse four. But we're going to look look again, starting in verse three. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God." And look down at verse six. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Again, we don't, we don't get all of the answers in this passage as to why we suffer and why we go through affliction of various kinds. Paul doesn't answer questions about circumstances uh, or external afflictions or internal mind and emotional afflictions or why we go through these things. Rather, what Paul does is he gives us answers as to how God uses his comfort that he provides in our afflictions for his purposes. And it's so that God can then use us as a means for ministering to others. And as we said earlier, God provides comfort directly to us, but also through various other means, such as through God's people. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when you go through difficulty and you find out that someone else has gone through a similar difficulty, it's strangely comforting. Uh, you know, there's a special bond and connection that's made because it's like, hey, this person knows what I felt. Uh, like they actually understand me. And this past week, my, my, my six-year-old son, uh, Stockton, we were at his baseball practice and it was a bunch of four, five, and six-year-old kids. And I was, you know, helping the kids in the infield and uh, where to stand, where to throw it, uh, what to do when the balls hit. Uh, and they were kind of rotating through and they were also hitting kind of like a game. And at the end of the practice, you know, I was helping one of the smallest kids on the team, this little four-year-old kid. Uh, he couldn't really throw and catch. You know, he's kind of new to the game, um, and he's on third base, which if you're familiar with third base, it's a hot corner. Um, like, that's where the balls are hit, hit the hardest uh, and come at you the fastest. It's, it's no joke. Third base is no joke, okay? Well, it comes the biggest kid on our team, uh, and he's just straight swinging out of his shoes. Uh, 
and I know that if this kid connects uh, this little kid on third base, he is in trouble. Uh, and so I back him all the way back up to the grass uh, just to keep him safe. I'm like, come on, buddy, let's come back. Uh, and of course, a ground ball comes. You know, it's not crazy hard, but it, it, he runs up to get it. It takes a hard bounce, and it knocks him right in the eye. And his jaw drops, right? He's, he's crying. His dad there, he, he goes to his dad. He's still crying. He's just the sweetest little kid. And his, his dad's like, hey, son. And I watched it all. He's like, hey, son, these, these things happen. Uh, you got to get back up. You got to get back out there. And then he says to his son, looks at him right in the eye. He's like, I've, you know, I've been hit in the face with a ball too. It was such a sweet moment to watch. And, and then he says, it hurts, doesn't it? And then I chimed in. I kind of felt like I was ruining the moment. But, you know, I said, yeah, me too, bud. Like, I've been hit in the face, like, a lot uh, playing third base. It's, it's no fun. It's, it hurts. And for whatever reason, uh, him hearing about these two grown men who have also been hit in the face with a ground ball uh, gave him courage to get back up and get right back on third base, go get the next ground ball, throw it to first base, and everyone cheered. And it was one of those great Little League baseball moments, right? Uh, but for whatever reason... This is true with our lives. When we go through trials, afflictions, and difficulties and find God's comfort from his word through other people, through music and teachings, that uh, it then strengthens us. God is then able to use those moments for us to help and to minister to us. Which leads me to say, your greatest afflictions may be your greatest opportunity for ministry. Your greatest afflictions may be your greatest opportunity for ministry. You know, whatever challenges you have been through, whatever, whether at work or school, at home, in relationships, maybe personal sin struggles, emotional struggles, maybe some sort of addiction or sickness or infertility or a wayward child or some sort of opposition in ministry, whatever it is, you have a level of understanding that God wants to use and can use to bring comfort to other people. You know, I love what Pastor Tony Marita said. He said, God comforts us not to make us comfort comfortable, but to make us comforters. He strengthens us so that we may strengthen others. And so as a quick reminder today, we've seen that today, we've seen that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Number two, that God comforts us in our affliction so we're able to better minister to others. And then our last and longest point for today, number three, God's people experience affliction to understand the paradox of the comforting cross. You know, I intentionally say uh, comforting cross is a paradox because, you know, if we really think about it, there's nothing that, about the cross that is comforting. I mean, Jesus was nailed, uh, bled, and died on the cross. The cross was used to kill and to torture people, which is not exactly very comforting. <laughs> but yet we know as Christians, the cross is our comfort. Because as we know, the good news of the gospel is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by trusting in Jesus, our greatest burden and affliction, the burden and the affliction of our sin, is removed and it's completely cleansed. Through the cross where Jesus bled and died, we go from an enemy of God to fully redeemed and made new and cleansed so that we may be in the presence of the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Through the comforting cross, our lives are completely transformed. Through the comforting cross, we go from a wicked sinner to completely forgiven. But yet, we, where we stand and sit today in our place in redemptive history, where God has placed us right here on Sunday, February 14th, 2021, happy Valentine's Day, by the way, we live in a world where although we have access to the God of all comfort through the, this good news of the gospel, 
Yet we're in this in-between time where we still experience affliction and suffering and hardship. Yet, the cross absolutely brings comfort. But as Christians, until we see Jesus face-to-face in heaven, we're still in this time where we're called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We're still in this time where affliction and hardship will come, where we will not always feel the comfort of God, while yet needing to remember that although we don't feel it, His comfort is still there. He has not left us. He is sure and steady. And although the cross of Christ brings great comfort, we must remember that this comforting cross is still, in fact, a cross. And when we pick up the cross, it comes with affliction. So our God, Jesus Christ, uh, he carried the cross to Calvary's hill. When we follow Jesus, it comes with, a follow, uh, with following a cross that leads us to die. Although sometimes it may lead to physical death, but uh, maybe, maybe more often and more accurately for us today, for many of us, it calls us to put to death ourself, to put to death living for ourselves, or quite possibly putting us in situations where when we step out in faith, it calls us to get to the end of ourself. When it seems as if we have nothing left to give, when it seems as if we can't go any further, which is where Paul was in 2 Corinthians. As our passage tells us, it says uh, he was utterly burdened of life itself. He thought he had a death sentence. Paul was put at the end of himself. Brothers and sisters, this is the normal New Testament Christian life. Laying everything down, laying all worldly comforts aside and replacing it for the God of all comforts. Laying down our life and continually putting our life to death, continually putting sin to death, and continually taking steps of faith when we may get put into scenarios when we get to the end of ourself. Yet we long for the day where affliction will be no more. But until that day, we live in this present reality where we daily live with the paradox of the comforting cross. Where we daily pick up our cross, die to ourselves, put sin to death, and maybe even get to the end of ourselves, all the while knowing the sweet pearl of God's comfort that is found through the cross. You know, as we walk in this world with afflictions and hardship, we do it following our God and Savior, who walked before us, and he shared it with us. Back at verse 5, where we see this. It says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Get this. Our God, Jesus Christ, because of the cross, understands the sufferings of this world abundantly. That's what it says. He experienced it. He walked through it. In fact, when Jesus went to the cross, he took the weight of the world with him, which includes your sin and knowing your affliction. Hear this today. When you experience hardship, Jesus experiences it with you. The Father of mercies and the God of all comforts knows and understands your affliction. When you get whacked in the face with a hard baseball, God can say, hey, I know exactly how that feels because Jesus understands your affliction. Jesus doesn't rush you along and tell you to get over it. No, he sits with you and shares your affliction patiently with you. Get this. This is so good to remember. When you weep, Jesus weeps. He sits beside you and he wipes your tears away knowing exactly what you felt because he's walked the road before you. He shared it with you. He hurts with you. He stays with you. And he patiently, he patiently leads you to the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. 
Which is why Paul says in verse 7 to the Corinthian church, verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Listen, Jesus shares in your sufferings with you, and he also shares his comfort with you. And when others around you go through that same thing, God has blessed you to be able to say together, we know more of Jesus because we've shared his sufferings and we now too know his comforts, which in turn in verse 7 shows us can spur one another on to encourage one another towards a hope that is unshaken. How good is that? (laughs) No matter the chaos, no matter the affliction or hardship, our hope does not rattle or shake. Whatever you're going through right now, if you've put trust in Jesus, he is a sure foundation and he is unshakable. No, no matter how shaken you've been or no matter how shook you may, shaken you may get or your hope does not waver or shake, it's unshakable. I mean, how comforting is that? When you feel shaken, if you follow Jesus, your foundation is still steady and unshaken. You may feel shaken, but the reality is you're not. You're on solid ground. Jesus, you're with Jesus Christ, who cannot be shaking. Shaken, he is holding you. And look again, starting in verse 8. We're going to read it again. Verse 8 says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And look what Paul tells Paul tells us the purpose of the affliction. He says, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Y'all, this is so good. When we go through affliction, it's an opportunity and a means to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Our affliction pushes us to rely on the power of the comforting cross. And notice, he did not say raised, like in the past tense. He said the God who raises the dead. It's the ongoing and present tense. Because remember, this is after Jesus' resurrection. And who had already left the earth to go and be with God. And here Paul says the God who raises the dead. You know, one commentator said this is a timeless present participle expressing a permanent attribute of God. Which means God's nature that does not change. God's ongoing permanent character is to raise the dead. This is not a past tense or a future tense or maybe it will happen tense. No, this is an everyday, an ongoing tense. This is what this means. Every single day, God is able to raise up his people who may despair of life itself. Every single day in the gospel, the Father of mercies provides new mercies. Don't miss this. Paul shows us that through the resurrecting power that is still alive and active, living inside of all those who call on Jesus, the power that continually raises the dead, through this daily resurrecting power, God raises sagging spirits and he strengthens weak knees. And so 
If your life seems in the pits, if you're lonely or isolated or wandering or confused or weary or burdened or grieving or stressed, whatever it may be, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts wants to say to you today that his resurrecting power is available for you. It is unshaking. Yes, praise God. Yes, his resurrecting power that raises the dead can raise your sagging spirit out of your weary pit. Your circumstances, they may not change. They may not improve. But God's spirit inside of you wants to lift your head up and see you smile amidst your affliction. Why? Because this is the very character of God. God is by nature a raiser of the dead. And one of the things that's been so encouraging to me this, just, this week, just as a pastor, that knows my ministry will continually be filled with weak knees and sagging spirits, being rem- reminded that God's grace and mercy and power raises dead spirits and raises dead hearts. It's not my power and it's not my spirit. It's God's resurrecting power. This continuous cycle of the Christian life, the pastor Kent Hughes pointed out, this continuous cycle of affliction and death and resurrection. And when he says death, he means uh, getting to the end of yourself. The cycle of affliction, death, and resurrection. When you get to the end of yourself, Christian, as Pastor Kent has said, look to Christ and find yourself thrusted upward in resurrection for further ministry, for further strength, and to keep marching. When we follow Jesus' call to take up our cross and follow him, it's in call to embrace this continuous cycle of affliction, death, and resurrection. And as C.S. Lewis has said, Nothing that has not died will be resurrected. So brothers and sisters, if you have gotten to the end of yourself, if you're putting sin to death, if your spirit is sagging and your knees are weak, but yet clinging to the comforting cross, in some ways we should say, praise God. Because God's resurrecting power wants to come through and revive your spirit. As Pastor Kent said, death sets in motion the unstoppable process of resurrection. Affliction will come. Right? Despair will come. Getting to the end of yourself will come, especially to those who follow Jesus. It will come, but as surely as it will come, so will God's comfort that comes flowing through his resurrection power. Why? Because it's God's character. God raises drooping hearts and strengthens weak knees. You see, church, this is one of the many great blessings of the transformed life. So I want to close with this. Now, as I mentioned, uh, I've been reading through this back half of the book of Isaiah recently and started in Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, we start to see this, the God of the Messianic age, which again, it's the time where Jesus walked the earth. It extends to us here today. And it starts off this section in Isaiah 40. This is what he says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In Isaiah 40, 11, we see God's comforting, shepherding care. He says, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Showing again God's comfort how he shepherds us and how he cares for us, how he gathers us and holds us and and holds us close to him and gently leads those that are fragile and possibly weary. New City Church, this this is our God who comforts, the God of all comforts. 
And then he says at the very end of Isaiah 40, and kind of right after he reveals his power and points to all these false gods and false comforts, he comes back and in contrast at the very end and says, starting in the middle of verse 28, Isaiah says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But, but, verse 31, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. New City Church, this is what a transformed life looks like. I've said this over and over and over again over the past eight weeks. God takes the wounded, the wandering, and the weary. He sits with them. He cries with them. He mourns and grieves with them. He strengthens their weak knees. He raises their drooping hearts. He mounts them up like wiggles, soaring with purpose into God's mission. God fuels his people to keep walking without fainting through continuous trials of life and spurs them on out of their weary souls to run and sprint and race with an unleashing Holy Spirit-enabled power from God's resurrecting power into God's grand mission and purpose. New City Church, this is our God who restores. This is our God who transforms. This is our God who supplies a daily resurrecting power to raise weary souls and strengthen weak knees. New City Church, this is our God. Again, if you've been wounded, wandering, and weary, and have found strength and comfort through the comforting cross, know that God wants to use these afflictions for his grand purposes. God's given you a rare pearl to share and show to a searching world. Let's pray. God, you comfort us in our affliction. God, your spirit continually lifts our spirits, encourages us, strengthens us. Father, if there's someone here who does not know Jesus Christ, has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, We pray that you would prick their heart to follow Jesus, to find this God of all comfort. Father, would you help us? We ask this all in Jesus' name.